1: underneath the rubble in the the temple. And as they were cleaning, what's that over there? Oh, it looks like some kind of scroll. So they got it. It was a law. It was part of the law of Moses. And the word spreads and he carries the book to the king. It had been forgotten and regarded as nothing more than an old dusty book. Now it was found and he needed to read it and it begins to spread. We should expect some measure of spiritual revival and renewal to follow. When God's word goes out boldly, spiritual renewal and revival takes place.
0: Many think that the Bible is just another book, but as Pastor Dave shares, it's more than that. It's the living Word of God. It has the power to transform hearts and minds, and when it's shared, it not only changes you individually, it changes whole societies. That's probably why it's the best-selling book in the world. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 34, as he continues his message, Josiah and the Book of the Law.
1: Sin must be dealt with harshly. Sin must be dealt with harshly. We have sin in our life. It must be dealt with harshly. Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Now, was he saying maim yourself? Was he saying cause yourself to go blind? No. He was saying, get it out of your life. Get it out of your life. Favorite scene. Favorite scene in the movie Fireplace. Fire Fireproof. Fireplace. Fireproof. Favorite scene in the movie Fireproof is when he has a problem with pornography. And his wife calls him on it. And he's trying to get back with his wife, and she called him on it because she called him on there. My favorite scene in that was when he realized that he took it out there and took a baseball bat to it and beat the snot out of it. I love that scene. See, he plucked it out. He got rid of the cause of the sin. He got rid of the temptation. I love that. And that's what Jesus is saying. If your eye causes you sin, pluck it out. If whatever causes you sin is in your life, get rid of it. That's what they're doing here. That's what they're doing here. These priests were causing people to sin. So he got rid of them. He Pretty harshly, too, but he got rid of them. He got rid of them. Although Reformation can only not only deal with sinful things, it must deal with sinful people for a true Reformation to have. If sinful people are not dealt with, they will quickly quickly bring back the sinful things that were removed before. If you don't deal with the sin, it will always be there, and the temptation will always be there too. The sinful people who guide you and lead you into sin. He did this in all the cities, in Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, and all throughout the whole land of Israel. The northern kingdom had already been conquered, and he was going up there and helping them out by getting rid of all this stuff too. He was really doing a good job. So then he turns his eyes to the temple. Let's read verses 8 through 13. In the 18th year of his reign, now 18 and 8, so he's 26 years old now. In the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Jehoaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. And when they came to Hilkiah, the high priest... Whose father is Hilkiah? I mentioned his name already. Jeremiah. Hilkiah is Jeremiah's father. You can find that in the book of Jeremiah. They delivered that money, which was brought into the house of God, and the Levites who kept the doors had gathered from the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim from all the remnant of Israel and all of Judah and Benjamin, which they had brought back to Jerusalem. And then they put it in the hand of the foreman who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they gave it to the workmen who worked in the house of the Lord to repair and restore the house. They gave it to the craftsmen and the builders to buy and use stone and timber for beams, and the floor of the houses that the kings of Judah had destroyed. And the Med did the work faithfully. Their overseers were Japheth, Obadiah, the Levites, the sons of Meri, Zechariah, the Mushlim, and the sons of the Kodahites, and the Supervise. Others of Levites, of all whom were skillful with instruments of music, were over the burden bearers and were overseers of all who did the work of any kind of service. And some of the Levites were scribes, Officers and gatekeepers. Okay, so somebody made a joke the other day about what they do on Saturday morning. It was a whistle while you work thing. I think that was funny because here they're playing music while these guys are restoring the temple. The, the, the guys here are playing worship music as these guys are restoring the temple. And I don't know about you, but if I ever want to get anything done around my house, the best thing I can do is turn worship music on. I turn worship music, I do, don't whistle while I work, but I feel pretty jolly going around doing the things I need to do. You know, that's what's happening here. That's what's going on here. Josiah is 26 years old. He had this energetic campaign to cleanse the land of Judah and Israel of all idolatry. Now he puts his effort into the one thing that his father, 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 David wanted to do more than anything, and that's the temple. So see how familiar, see how They are, how close they are related. What was on David's heart? David wanted to build a temple for God. That's all David could think about. How come I live in this beautiful palace, Lord, and you're in a tent? Oh, David wanted to build a house for God. He couldn't because he had blood on his hands. David wasn't allowed to, but Solomon did. And here, Josiah wants to build the temple. and wants to restore it back to its glory because he knows God's presence is there. He knows the value of a great temple. He puts his toward restoring the, the, the temple. Who had restored the temple before that? Somebody said it. Hezekiah. Hezekiah had restored the temple before that, but Manasseh came in and Ammon came in and they destroyed it again. They destroyed it completely. So there seems to be a two-stage event here. It seems to be a two-stage event with what we're looking at here. We have the purification of the religious practice in Judah, Jerusalem, Naphtali, and Josiah's 20th year. And then we have the continuing reformation, simulated the discovery of a book of the law in the 18th year. I love that. It is possible that Josiah was motivated to rebuild the temple after hearing Remembering that this was the king Johash did many years before him. You can read about that in 2 Kings 12. Josiah understood the work to repair and rebuild the temple. He needed to organize it, he needed to fund it, and he needed to pay the workers. He needed to keep them going. This is good. So remember when when in, in Hezekiah's day, they went out and they gathered money? Even Manasseh was gathering money. Remember they were gathering money for the temple? Well, here now, they're using that money to get it done, to get it done. It takes money to build things. It takes money to restore things. And he did this. And these men, they work faithfully. They work very, very faithfully. So we see this. And now we come to verses 14 through 17. Something interesting happens. Something extremely interesting happens while they're restoring the temple. Let's read the verses. Now, when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. So Shaphan carried the book to the king, bringing the king word, saying, All that was committed to your servants they are doing. And they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into the workmen, into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. They discover this book. They begin to repair the temple, and and Josiah is 26 years old. He had purged the land. Now Jeremiah is prophesying all along. And he sent out a message to prepare the temple. They hired workmen. They got everything done. So they're cleaning out the temple. And all of a sudden, they come across this book. Now, it's called a book, but really it was a scroll. It wasn't a book. It was a scroll. They didn't have books at that time. Books didn't come in, I think it was the second or third century when books came in. And they actually started making books. so This was a scroll. They found a scroll. And one of the scrolls which the law of God was written on, and the priest brought it out to Josiah and began to read it to him. And as he read it to him, they probably read Deuteronomy, where the God pronounces curses on those people for not following his law. And he comes, he, this is pretty bad. This is terrible. And he realized the iniquity of the sin of the people, and he gets very, very upset, and he should be. Because Deuteronomy says if they don't follow the law of God, that all the curses that fell on Egypt would fall on them too. And read about the curses that fell on Egypt. Where was the copy of the original law supposed to be? In the Ark of the Covenant. Supposed to be in the Ark of the Covenant. What else was in the Ark? Manna and... Aaron's rod that budded, yes. yes. Those three things were supposed to be in the ark. Now, after it all happened and, 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 and the Philistines had it for a while and it came back, somehow Aaron's rod became missing somehow. It wasn't there. It wasn't, wasn't there. So somehow this book of the law got sidetracked and got in the temple and everything was piled on top of it. Sounds a lot like the family Bible that you might have sitting in your living room on top of a coffee table someplace, or your mom had in your living room sitting on a coffee place, right, that you used to put your cold drink on top of, you know? And there were family pictures in there and all kinds of stuff in the family Bible, and you know, the only time it was used was when mom dusted off, you know? That's way most family Bibles are, so, the word of God was with Israel, still, but it had been neglected. What did Deuteronomy say about the Word of God? Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 17. We're gonna look at two little verses there, which are very, very important. In Deuteronomy 17, in verses at 18, but but if you look, if if you have a Bible that has headings, some of them don't, my heading, beginning in verse 14, it says, Principles governing kings. And in there is a whole list of things that the kings were supposed to know and do. Specifically in 18 through 20, it says, Also it shall be, when he, king, sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law in the book, from the one before the priest and the Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in the kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So He was supposed to be reading this thing. Every king was supposed to be reading and studying the Bible, reading and studying the law. They were supposed to know it so that they could lead the people in following the law. Well, obviously, that hadn't happened. Obviously, the scroll was underneath the rubble in in the temple. And as they were cleaning, what's that over there? Oh, it looks like some kind of scroll. So they got it. It was a law. It was part of the law of Moses. And the word spreads and he carries the book to the king. It had been forgotten and regarded as nothing more than an old, dusty book. And now it was found, and he need to read it, and it begins to spread. We should expect some measure of spiritual revival and renewal to follow. When God's word goes out boldly, spiritual renewal and revival takes place. When, that's why Calvary Chapel teaches God's word line by line, verse upon verse, so that you know the whole counsel of God. And when you have a whole council in your God, it starts to spread. And it starts to grow in your heart. And it gets good ground and get good rooted. And you become rooted and grounded. And you become growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And more people are added to the kingdom. And throughout the history of God's people, when the word of God is recovered and spread, spiritual revival always follows. We're coming to one of the greatest books here with Ezra and Nehemiah. It's wonderful books. It can be as simply as it did in the days of Josiah. When one man finds and starts reading and believing the book, the word spreads. God's word spreads. Let's think 18 through 21. Then Shaphan, the scribe, told the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the Lord. Thus it happened. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Anakam, the sons of Shaphan, Adon, the son of Micah, Micah, and Shaphan the scribe, and Azariah, the servant of the king, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of this book that are found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord and do all according that is written in this book. Wow. He hears the word of God and he rips his clothes. What does that mean? Ripping your clothes in this culture is a very, very sure sign. It's a sign of disgust. It's a sign of absolute agony and hurt. Remember when David found out that Saul and Jonathan were dead, he tore his clothes in pain and agony. When when Jesus said uh, talked about the Son of Man, Descending and ascending, what did the do? Uh, cap, uh, he tore his clothes in disgust. This was a sign of disgust and, and, and anger. So the king tears his clothes. Says, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. It, it's, it's horror, astonishment. This is the strongest possible thing. He showed grief on account of all the other kings. He knew what would lay ahead. He knew it was coming. The wrath of God was coming because no king before him had read the word of God, had shared the word of God with the people. And even though we see that, whose work is this in our hearts? Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's work in our heart that convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Read John 16, 8. And when he comes and do this, he will convict us of sin. He convicts us, and that's what happens. It wasn't that the king knew nothing of God or how to seek him. It was that it was under the conviction of the sin. He didn't know what to do next. He was under such conviction of sin, not only for him, but for the nation, for his forefathers, and everybody else. He just didn't know what to do. And he was, he was saddened. He was saddened. Great wrath of the Lord is going to come out upon us. He knew that the kingdom of Judah deserved judgment. He knew it. He couldn't hear the word of God and respond to the spirit of God without seriously confronting the sin, not only his sin, but the sin of the entire kingdom kingdom. Let's look at 22 to 28. So Hilkiah and those the king had appointed went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, son of Tokah, the son of Harash, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter and they spoke to her that effect. Then she answered them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, tell me a man who sent to you. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants and all the curses that are written in the book which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place not to be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of me, of the Lord? In this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which you have heard because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against the place and against the inhabitants. You humbled yourself before me and tore your clothes and you wept before me. I also have heard you. Surely I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes will not see the calamity which will bring out place and inhabitants. And they brought back the word to the king. This reminds me of the rapture of the church. Because of humbleness, because our hearts might be pure to him, we don't see the wrath of God. We don't see God's wrath. We are not subject to God's wrath, it says. We're going to study a lot about this on Sunday. We're not subject to God's wrath. Josiah is not going to see this calamity because his heart was tender towards God. You should be seeing something here. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. I am the Lord, I do not change. We have to, you see something here. If we commit ourselves to God, if we humble ourselves before the Lord, mighty God, if we obey his commands, what is the command? Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Accept Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Become born again. That's what he wants of us. And if we do that, and if we seek him with our heart, if we abide in him, the wrath of God is not going to fall upon us. The wrath of God as we know it, the great tribulation that's coming. They go to this woman. Why didn't they go to Jeremiah? Why didn't they go to Zephaniah? I don't know. Zephaniah was prophesying then too. But they went to this woman and she taught the word of God. There were prophetesses all over the place. And she spoke the word of God. It wasn't because of her wisdom and spirituality that she was recognized as a prophet, but he could reveal the heart and mind of God. And that was what was important. And she did that. She did that to the king. So they consulted her. He's going to bring calamity on this place. He knew that Judah deserved judgment. Josiah knew that Judah deserved judgment. The judgment would come. Judah and his leaders had walked against the Lord for way too long. I said that. Too little, too late. The die was cast. All the curses that were written in the book, God's word was true. Everything that would happen to them, God's faithfulness is demonstrated as much by his judgment as by his mercy to repentance. We have to think about that. It is. I don't we don't like to think about God's judgment and I know it's scary, but we have to look at it because that's what the Bible says. The Bible teaches both. But because Josiah's heart was tender in two ways, it was tender to the word of God and was able to receive the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit, and he was tender to the message of judgment that the prophetess gave him. He was tender to the message that the prophetess gave him. This is extremely important. But Josiah, you're going to die. But you'll be gathered in peace. Josiah, you might die in battle, but there's three things that are going to happen. You're going to die before a great spiritual disaster and exile came. You'll be gathered with your father. You will die in God's favor, even though it's by the hand of the enemy. Let's read the rest of the chapter. Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and Levites and all the people, great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and... Benjamin to take a stand. So the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God and the God of their fathers. Thus, Josiah removed all the abominations from the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God all his days. They did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. This is what the word of God does. He shared it. This is what we're doing right now. We're sharing the word of God. We're sharing God's word and it never comes back void. It never comes back void. How many of you get up in the morning and read God's word and go, I don't understand this single word I read. I don't know what I read. I'm helped. And that happens. It happens. Well, let me ask but it's matter for your soul. Let me ask you a question. What'd you have for breakfast six weeks ago on Monday? You don't know. How could you be nourished? Did it nourish you? Absolutely it nourished you. Sure it did. The word of God is our manna from heaven. And when we read it, and sometimes we don't understand it, it's still nourishing you. It's still doing what it's supposed to do. It never comes back void. God's word always accomplishes the purpose that it's sent out to do. Always. Always. And so he's reading the book, and he does exactly what he's supposed to do. This guy is so cool. I love him. He he does exactly what he's supposed to do. He sees the word. He goes, oh, my, me. And look, who repented first? He did. He repented first. He didn't go to the people in an unrepentant heart. He repented to God first. He got right with God first. He got right with God. And then he takes it to the people and go, listen, you got to read this. Come on. You've never felt that way about Jesus. You never came up to somebody and go, you got to read this. You got to look at this, man. I mean, that's what he's doing. What a great evangelist. But he's really a great evangelist. He's coming out and saying, you gotta read these words, and he's sharing the word. And then being king, he can make an edict. You're gonna follow the Lord. Or else you're gonna follow the Lord. I mean, come on. I mean, I love this fact about this guy. I mean, he really had David's heart. He really had David's heart. And this is so cool when I see this. Remember, one heart. One heart can make a difference. Every revival that ever started in the entire world from the zero to now has been started by one heart. One heart true to God. One heart seeking God. One heart that had repented of sin, that had confessed their sin, that had been on their face speaking and had been moved by the Holy Spirit. One heart. You are assured
0: Thank you for joining us here today on A Sure Hope. In this series, Pastor Dave has been teaching through the book of 2 Chronicles. The book follows the kingship of Solomon all the way through until both Judah and Israel are taken over by other kingdoms surrounding them. There are many moments of great faith within these pages and also typical moments of falling away from where Israel had begun. But the moments of faith put a spotlight on God and His amazing ways of coming through for His people. No matter the situation, God is on the throne. He's more powerful than any opposing country or enemy that's coming against you. So take courage and believe God for big things today. If you're enjoying this series from Assure Hope, we invite you to check out more messages at assurehoperadio.com. Get to know more about Pastor Dave while you're there. You can also get a feel for the church behind this ministry, too. That church is Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Please feel free to explore our website to get more information on service times and other useful information. If you're not in the area, why not find us on Facebook or YouTube? We live stream our services to both of these platforms. Find links to both of these on our website, assurehoperadio.com. If for any reason you'd like to email us, you're welcome to do that as well. Our email address is info at capewatchradio.com. Our time is up for now, but make sure you come back again for another edition with Pastor Dave, teaching through the book of Second Chronicles on A Sure Hope.